Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Glad to have you. Thanks for tuning in to, to Church Online again. Uh, I, I really want to say good morning, but I know that some of us are taking uh, advantage of this opportunity to sleep in. So good afternoon to you guys. You know who you are. My name is Adam. I serve on staff here at Mission View as the pastor of student ministries. And we're in week, I don't know, 100 of uh, this pandemic, or at least it, it feels that way. So we're anxiously, uh, I just want to let you know, we're anxiously looking forward to meeting together in person with you again. I know that uh, Pastor Matt and the elders are, are working diligently on uh, plans for how we will do that appropriately moving forward. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And in the, in the meantime, we're still here for you and we're still your church. So continue to make your needs known as you might have them. And let's continue to uplift and serve and encourage one another. All right. We are... Uh, in a series, we're three weeks into a series called How-Tos from Malachi. So go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 2. This is the last book of the Old Testament, if you will. In order to have a, a kind of a good idea of what's going on for our, for our message this morning, uh, I think it would help if we understood the context a little bit. And so it being the last book of the Old Testament, here is a summary of the entire Old Testament. Ready? We know from Scripture that God created all things, that humanity is part of that, but humanity is uniquely made to be in relationship, in ongoing relationship with God. Very early in, in this Bible, uh, see like page three or so, uh, humanity turns away from God. And so that relationship that we were meant to have with him is, is broken, it's, it's fractured, there's something wrong with it. And uh, in spite of that though, God begins to make promises about how he's going to be the one that is ultimately going to fix the problem. And we see him do that in a certain, uh, in, in several ways. Uh, at some point along the way, he, he chooses a certain man and his family and decides that he's going to make a, a covenant with this family. That they'll be called the nation of Israel soon. And this covenant is kind of like a, a marriage relationship where it's, a, it's like a promise, but there's a, a two-way relationship where God says, if you do X, I'll do why, and we see that throughout the Old Testament, this, this case study on this relationship and what sin does to affect that relationship. We see that God remains faithful to his end of the covenant promises that he declares to Israel, but Israel does not remain faithful to God. I'll give you an example. Uh, one example that we see is that God promises Israel that they will inhabit this certain land. And we see that pretty early on. And eventually through toil and conquest and all sorts of struggle, they, they finally do. And he says, if you continue to uphold me as your God, you will have this land. You will inhabit this land. But as Israel continues to turn away from God, eventually there are consequences for that. God allows a neighboring nation to, to rise up and conquer them and take them away into exile. And Israel just cycles through this uh, this sin and then repentance and then redemption only to find themselves right back at sin again. And Malachi is a prophet who's speaking to this nation after they've gone into exile and then returned back to their land once again. And it's likely that this is the last bit of revelation that they receive until Christ comes, probably 400 or so years later. So the question that, that comes up for me before we even start reading Malachi is this. How, how are they doing? 
did Israel finally learn their lesson? Was this time of exile enough to be a wake-up call for them? And the land, specifically, was one of the first things God promised to do for them. And when a whole nation of people gets conquered and then swept away into exile, displaced, that's a serious thing. It's hard to ignore. And uh, if you've been paying attention the last two weeks, as we've read so far in Malachi, the answer is no. No, nothing has changed. There's still a, a serious rift in their relationship with God. One of the ways we, we see that specifically, practically, is in how they, they choose to give offerings to God. Uh, I- imagine for a moment, if you will, a husband and wife for this illustration. Go ahead and think of me and Emily. And let's say that uh, my wife and I are expecting company and we're expecting to have uh, some guests over. And uh, it's important guests, so it's a big deal. We spend a whole, a whole weekend cleaning up the, the house and, and tidying things up and uh, getting a guest bedroom ready and doing, you know, mowing the lawn, all sorts of things that you might do for guests coming over. Let's say uh, it's her parents. They live in California, so uh, they're not over every other weekend. It's kind of a big deal, and we're sort of running out of time uh, before they arrive, and, and maybe towards the end of the weekend, uh, Emily tells me that she'd like to get some flowers for the kitchen table. And she kind of, you know, hints at me, I'd like to get some flowers. I need to go pick up my parents from the airport, though. Here are, here's my favorite kind of flowers. Here's where you can get the flowers. Uh, here's where the, the, you know, the fact that they're open. Here's some MapQuest directions to the flowers. Nobody uses MapQuest anymore, though, right? Here's some directions to the flowers. And I say, you know what? What, what you say is important to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this done. I'm going to get the nice flowers for us. And we come up with this plan. She's going to go get in the car, go to the airport, get her parents. I'll run out and get the flowers. And so we meet up in the driveway and we have this long and tender embrace. And she says, I love you. And I say, I love you too. And she says, you're so attractive. And I say, thanks. And then she goes off to get her parents. And I, I kind of wave to her as she leaves the driveway. And as soon as she leaves, I, I, I have this idea that's like, I could go get these flowers but I don't know why, because I've got, I've got some perfectly good stuff right over here in the yard. And I pull out these. I put them in a nice vase. I put them on the kitchen table. If I, if I did this, it's a funny joke, first of all. Uh, but if I was serious about it, you can imagine there's, there's going to be some trouble. Uh, not just trouble, it's, it's likely that if, if, I, if I seriously thought that this was a good substitute for the flowers, there might be something fundamentally amuck or awry in our relationship at this moment. Th- this isn't just a, a classic case of boneheadedness. She can't come home and I can say, ah, oh, you know what, I, I, act, I wasn't paying attention, I was grabbing some other stuff and I accidentally grabbed these, they were right next to the other flowers that you recommended. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't thinking about it. Whoops, sorry. It's not like I, I, I forgot what her favorite kind of flower was and thought for a second it might be these dandelions. No, there's, my wife right, might rightly have some questions. Do you still love me? Do you, do you care about honoring me? Did you, did you hear me? Do you, even, do you even listen to me? Because there's a difference between these and these, right? There's a clear and obvious difference. 
What we've learned in the last two weeks through our study in Malachi so far is that Israel had been treating their relationship to God like this. What they were doing was they were, they were giving God offerings that were the worst of what they could find. And so the book of Malachi is the series of disputes between Israel and God where God essentially says, hey, there's something fundamentally wrong here. It's not just ignorance and it's not just laziness, but there's a far deeper issue. You don't know how to love like I do. We talked about that the first week. Or you, you don't know how to honor. We talked about that last week. Today we're going to look at this relationship from the angle of listening. Listening, all right? And here's where it comes from. This is Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave uh, them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was on his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from my way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I will make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. All right, this is the word of God. I have three ideas that I think are going to help guide us through this passage. This idea of uh, we want to be good listeners, right? Matt sometimes refers to this, uh, this series as how not to. Uh, so how not to love or how not to honor or how not to listen. Uh, I think there's a, a couple things that the Israelites are missing that if they had, had thought about might help them. All right, here they are. Three ideas. First, God leads. God leads. Sounds, sounds simple enough. Second, priests feed. Priests feed. And third, people heed. People heed. So first, God leads. Second, priests feed. Third, people heed. Let me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into this text a little deeper. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the relationship that you have had with Israel as a special and chosen people. Thank you for the things that we are able to learn uh, from that relationship. God, I, I think that um, as we read this morning, uh, there's going to be some temptation to uh, put off some of this information and say, well, that's only for Israel or, oh, that's only for, for priests and, and pastors and uh, things like that. I pray that you would help us to find what is uh, applicable, the transferable uh, uh, principles uh, to us here out of this text. God, we believe that uh, your word is profitable for teaching and correction and reproof and all of these things. And I, I pray that you would help us to search for that this morning by your spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first, God leads. God leads. And now, O oh priests, this command is for you. If, if chapter 1 
of Malachi was largely an address to, to people as individuals for bringing these offerings to God. Chapter 2 begins by addressing the priests in particular. So in Israel's history, uh, it was set up that they would make often sacrifices to God, usually at the temple specifically. And with an entire nation participating in this, this is kind of a logistical challenge. So it was ordained that a, a, a certain family line, descendants from Aaron and, and Levi, would be the ones to facilitate this process. They would be the ones to lead Israel spiritually. A lot of the details of this are laid out in the book of Leviticus. So that you see the name Levi there. And what is happening is the priests have been allowing Israel to bring these poor sacrifices. So God acknowledges this and he says, hey, if you will not listen. Have you ever had that conversation with your kids? Or you've seen that conversation in the grocery store? When the kids are little, being little terrors and you say, oh, I, I see the problem here, you spawn of mine. You're not, you're not listening to me. You might have seen that video of the mom having an argument with her three-year-old son. And he says, no, no, listen, Linda, you're not listening to me. Even that, that time out, or this, this exile, didn't help. And then there's some sort of hostage situation which ultimately resolves in someone playing the trump card of saying, oh, well, I'm the mom or I'm the dad. We've all seen this before. And like children, Israel has heard God speak clearly over and over and over and over and yet they ignore what they're called to do and God finally says you know you're not you're not listening to me and it's it's the the priests the ones who knew more about God and his law and his word than anyone else so it should perk the ears up for anyone uh, who is a pastor yes but also anyone who finds themselves in a position of, of spiritual leadership don't skip over this. If you're a community group leader or simply a parent. In 1 Peter 2, he refers to all believers as part of a royal priesthood. Where as Christians, our lives and actions are supposed to provide spiritual leadership to the rest of the world. And so Christians need to be a people who, at the very least, others can look at and say, they listen to God who leads them. Unfortunately, though, Christians are often called hypocritical because we, we preach the name of God and the word of God and yet we choose not to listen to him ourselves. Why, why is that? There are plenty of reasons that we might not listen to God. Ignorance, laziness, disobedience, distraction. And we could talk about some of those, but if we keep reading, we see that God gets more specific. When he tells the priests they're not listening, he says, you're not taking it to heart. If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. I really like uh, modern renditions of Sherlock Holmes. I love Sherlock Holmes and I really like modern stuff. Uh, and uh, there's a scene in, in a Sherlock Holmes show where Sherlock is teaching uh, Dr. Watson about the difference between seeing and observing. And he says, Watson, how many times have you walked up the front steps to your apartment? And Watson says, I don't know, hundreds, thousands? And he says, okay, how many steps are there? And Watson says, well, I, I don't know. And he says, he says, you see, that's the problem. You, you see, but you don't observe. In the same way, I think with God, we, we hear, but we don't listen. We don't take God's words to heart. 
And that's, that's convicting to me as someone who, as someone who stands here and, and shares from God's word with you. It's not just my responsibility to share information with you, but to ultimately take it to heart to give honor to his name. What does this mean practically? I, I think in life there are, there are head people, heart people, and, and hands people. I think even in scripture you see uh, uh, scripture writers who lean one way or, or the other. James is a hands person. He's very practical and tangible for example. Uh, I, I myself, I'm a, I'm a head person first. I care about information and knowledge and, and wisdom and facts. I'm probably a hands person second. I'm willing to submit to God and obey him out of duty and service and faithfulness. And, and I will work, but I, I might grumble all the way along. Uh, and I, I always felt that my heart was just a bonus you know, if I, can, if I can feel good about what I'm doing or, or believe in it, then that's, that's just a bonus. And you can see how I might have made a case for this in Scripture because, of course, there are times in my life, plenty of times in my life, where I just need to submit to God and obey Him regardless of how I feel about it. There's not an excuse to sin just because maybe I disagree with God on something. And that's true. But imagine for a second if I didn't just listen, but I took it to heart to honor him. Imagine if we didn't just read God's word, but we, we fell in love with God's word. Imagine if we didn't just serve others, but we loved to serve others. Imagine if we didn't just worship and sing, but we loved to worship and sing. And this is all over scripture too. When Paul says faith, hope, and love remain, he says the greatest of these is love. David, in spite of his sinfulness, is referred to as a man after God's own heart. Jesus says the, the greatest commandments, and if you could sum up the whole Old Testament, it's to love God and love others. This is what Jeremiah says about God's word. He says, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. As a kid, uh, one of our uh, summer chores was getting up, not, not too early, maybe nine, getting up at nine on a Saturday uh, when we didn't have a soccer game or something like that and going out and doing yard work. And I hated this as a kid. Couldn't stand it. Weeding, mulching, edging, all sorts of things. You know, my parents, were, I feel like, were the type of parents who were like, let's move this tree six inches to the left. And... Uh, I did all these things for my parents, but they were, they were chores to me. I did them to obey them. Slowly over time, as I've gotten older, I, I, uh, Emily and I, we, we live in a house, and I, in, I realize that I enjoy living in a house that has a nice yard. And so I no longer do that type of work simply out of obligation. It is still hard work to me, yes, but I have taken it to heart that it is nice to have a nice yard. That it's good work and it's good for me and I'll be able to enjoy it. I hope to make it a practice in my life to take to heart what God says in anticipation that whatever he says is ultimately for my joy and for my good. The Israelites aren't doing that. They're not listening to God. They don't let him lead them in that way. 
And there, there are consequences for this, by the way. And I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but God uses some strong and harsh language here in chapter 2, so we should address it. He talks about a curse and their offerings being dung. Maybe it's that uh, the things that were once blessings to them became curses to them. My dog, when he was a puppy, would give him a lot of treats, right? It was just a small blessing that we would give to him in order to train him and teach him. He would learn the language that we wanted him to learn. Come, sit, stay, these things. As he got better at, at, at come, sit, and stay, we, we've given him fewer and fewer treats, right? But he's experiencing blessing in other ways. If we took him to the park, we might let him off the leash and let him run around if he's good at come. I was talking to the, the Smith family. I was talking to Joe Smith. And Joe was telling me about how uh, his dog keeps getting sprayed by skunks. Uh, if, if, if our dog was, was out on, you know, off the leash and we're playing in a park and I, I see a skunk and I start, I start saying, hey, come and he starts to refuse to listen, what was at one point a blessing to him, this freedom of being able to run and play, is about to become a curse. Not only is he going to get sprayed by a skunk, he's going to stink, he's going to sleep in the garage. Because he didn't listen, his blessing turned into a curse. Or maybe, as Malachi points out, maybe there are intergenerational consequences for not listening. Being the youth pastor at Mission View, I spent a lot of time talking to parents about their kids, and I, I talked to other youth workers around the country about some things like this. Every once in a while, I'll see a parent frustrated at their child's spiritual immaturity. But that parent didn't model any sort of heart for God in their lives to their kids. Or maybe it's simply that God takes no pleasure in our offerings. When he refers to them as dung, and that might even be the worst realization of all. It's my, my hope that at Mission View we can clearly and definitively say that we are led by God as a congregation, as a body of believers, but also as individuals. And my prayer is that we would, we would listen to God and store up what he says in our hearts that we would listen to him, that we would acknowledge his authority and then delight in his leadership in our lives. The Israelites didn't do that. They didn't submit to God and his leadership. All right, let's move on a little bit. Priests feed. This is uh, verse 4. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. These uh, priests, they had other responsibilities rather than just facilitating these offerings. Uh, they weren't too dissimilar from pastors today. So they were supposed to know the law, to share it, to teach it, to participate in care for people, officiate weddings or funerals, things like that. And we see some of that here. It refers to true instruction and in turning others from iniquity. That was their covenant responsibility. Just like a, a, how a coach or a physical trainer uh, might be a physical leader or a professor or teacher might be an intellectual leader, these priests are supposed to be spiritual leaders. It's their job to feed people spiritually. 
You might recall that after Jesus is resurrected and he speaks to Peter, he tells him to feed my sheep. And look at how positively God speaks of Levi here. Life and peace. He feared me. He stood in awe of my name. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked in uprightness and turned others from iniquity. There are two things to take note of with regard to Levi. First, his relationship to God, and second, his relationship to others. Do you see that? And notice that it begins with his relationship with God first, before it even addresses anything else. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it says that he feared God. That he was in awe of him. If I could give you some practical uh, advice. First, uh, find a church where the leadership fears God. Find a church where the leadership fears God. Go ahead and disagree on methodology, disagree on a building, disagree on how the youth pastor uh, works with the students. But don't go to a church that has all the bells and whistles of everything you want, but the men and women who are in leadership don't have an awe and respect for the Lord. Sometimes we, uh, we get really hopped up on uh, incredible instruction. I want to go where there's the best teaching and incredible worship. I want to go where there's the best music. And we miss true instruction and true worship. And the second is this. Find a a church where you'll be fed. You'll be fed. Um, Let me me put a disclaimer on that one. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, I one time had a soccer game on a Saturday morning. Uh, and it was kind of far away. It was like two hours away, this game. And uh, my mom made this big hearty breakfast, and I wasn't hungry. So I, I didn't eat it. She was sad. And then my dad took me to my soccer game. And on the way, we passed kind of that 1030 mark where it switches from breakfast to lunch, you know, at McDonald's. And I was like, hey, Dad, I'm pretty hungry. And he was like, oh, yeah? And now... Y- I was like, what do you say we get McDonald's before this game? Now, you might think uh, that a good parent would, uh, would give me a nice scolding and immediately reject this idea. But my dad was like, oh, you know what? I'm hungry too. Let's get McDonald's. And then he egged me on. He was like, why don't you get a Big Mac? Why don't you make it a biggie size? Why don't you get a milkshake with it? And I'm like, this is fun. I like going to, you know, going to soccer games with that. So I'm just gorging myself on all this crap. And then I played my game, and it was the worst game I've ever played. And the scolding came after. I think I, I might have thrown up or something. I'm not sure. But I, I'm feeling real sick, and I get in the car. We, we lost by a bunch. And my dad pulled me aside, and he said, you know, in cars, there's good fuel and there's bad fuel. And it's the same with your body. And he was like a multiple sports athlete in high school and college. And that's when I got my scolding. It's the same spiritually. So when I say fed, I mean good fuel. Biblical food, not just, not just junk food. Yes, we, we all want to hear that being a Christian is going to make us healthy and wealthy and things will go perfectly for us and God wants us to be rich and famous rock stars. Like, I, I, I get it, but it, that's junk food. It, it tastes good at first, but it's, it's going to make you sick. And so when I say, find a church where you be fed, find a church where you be fed good, 
spiritual fruit from God's word. These are the things that you should be looking for in a church. I, I don't say this to encourage church hopping. I want you to realize that every good church that you ever find is still going to have sinners in leadership. And if you find the perfect church, turn around and leave because you're going to mess it up. But I think these things are important. And if, if I, Adam, could just share something personally with you, I think Mission View has this. And if it didn't, I wouldn't work here. I think we have elders and staff who first and foremost fear God and hold him in, in awe and respect and have a desire to feed people from this word here. Community group leaders who do that same thing. And we miss you. We want, we want to be with you. I know it's tempting probably at, uh, during this pandemic to, to feel like you might not need a, a church family or you could just you could just do the, the whole online thing. Let me, let me just say, I know that we have access to incredible teaching at our fingertips and incredible music at our fingertips. We also have access to, to false teaching and heretical lyrics. So be part of a body of believers where we encourage one another to fear the Lord and to be fed from God's word. That's what should be happening here. If the priest's responsibility is to feed the people, knowing God is leading us first and now we are supposed to feed the people, it should be in this way. Seek out good fuel. Good fuel. All right, lastly, people heed. People heed. In Malachi 2.7, he says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. God continues to sort of rail on the priests here. And he, he refers to them as being completely unlike Levi, who he mentioned earlier. They've turned aside from his way. They've caused others to stumble by their instruction. They've corrupted this covenant. It's not the way it should be. Instead, priests should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from them. Why does it, why does it say guard? Why not, why not share? Priests should share knowledge or teach knowledge. The Hebrew word for guard here is shemar. It means to preserve or protect or to keep watch over like a, a soldier or a shepherd. You ever notice that things that are valuable are what need guarded? Whenever I see an armored car go by on the road, I, I, just, I just wonder what's in it. Whenever someone guards, there's something valuable. You don't see people guarding their trash. Garbage doesn't need to be guarded. I think a step towards heeding God's word, towards listening to God better is this, acknowledging that his word is valuable. That scripture is God-breathed and profitable. We should seek instruction, seek good fuel. When you acknowledge that something is valuable, you're much more keen on listening intently. James takes it a step further. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
hearers of the word must be heeders of the word. Because a fridge full of vegetables is no good if you don't eat them. And it might take some time, but listening to God, heeding his instruction, will eventually make us spiritually healthy and fit. Notice I didn't say rich and famous. Spiritually healthy, spiritually fit. We need to be a people who lean on God's leadership. Who, who seek after good counsel and wisdom and teaching as priests or pastors or community group leaders are supposed to feed others. And as we hear the word or receive the word, we need to heed what it says. We need to heed what it says. In the grand scheme of things, we want to listen better. We can do that by letting God lead, by having priests feed and heeding God's word. This is a system that God has ordained that is wise that we should follow. And while that's all fine and good, doubling down on human effort, I do want to acknowledge, doubling down on human effort is still ultimately going to be insufficient for us. It's tempting to read Malachi and say, the Israelites and, and, and the priests, uh, they couldn't seem to get it. Can I be, can I be any better? Perhaps not. But what we do isn't what saves us ultimately. We learned here that there's something fundamentally broken in our souls. If you remember uh, from Sunday school reading about Noah and the ark and the flood, uh, you'll see that one of the reasons that God cites for why it happened this way, why there was this worldwide flood, is he, he refers to humanity as just every intent from the human heart is evil continually. Genesis 6, 7, 8 talks about this stuff. And then the, the flood comes and it, and it subsides and Noah's family is saved and within a chapter, God reiterates the same thing. Jeremiah says it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is the last bit of what they hear, but if I was to take a guess at how the Israelites were going to continue to live after the book of Malachi comes to them, after the prophet Malachi comes to them, is probably not much different than they had already. And I don't say that to say that this isn't valuable or this isn't worth hearing. I say that to say ultimately what they're waiting on is what comes in the next book. Soon they'll come to realize that, that Christ comes to save us from ourselves and from our sin. And then the Spirit comes to change us, to make us more like God. And so now for us, 2,000 odd years later... We can look at a book like this and acknowledge that our salvation is secure and we can have confidence to approach God. But as we go about living our lives, I hope that we can be better listeners. I hope that we can make sure that God is ultimately leading us in our lives. I hope that we can seek out wisdom and counsel from a, a local body of believers and 
that uh, we can find a church where the, the pastors and the elders and the staff care about feeding people good fuel. And that when we hear these things, we heed them. I'm thankful uh, that in the midst of uh, attempting to do some of these things in my life and recognizing, though, that I'm a, I'm a failure, I'm thankful for the fact that I have a Savior uh, who exhibited these things perfectly. And because of that, I can now have a right relationship with God. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word this morning. God, there are a lot of details I feel like we can, we can look at. There's more to be learned, more to be gleaned from, from Malachi. There's more practical application for, for spiritual leaders. And there's more we could talk about, about other things that it says in here. Partiality and causing others to stumble. And we see some of these things in your word. And God, I... I, I I come to you humbly, though, and I, I just pray that in my life, you'd help me to submit to you as, as Lord. That when I need to make decisions in my life, I, I seek you. That there is no decision I could ever make uh, that doesn't have you at the helm. God, I pray that... Uh, as someone who, who works at this church, you would help me to feed people good fuel. And as someone who attends this church, you would help me to seek out good fuel. I have a fear and an awe of you. And God, I pray that as I, I read your word or hear your word or others speak your word to me, God, I pray that you would help me to heed it. Lord, I pray that these things all together would help me uh, to submit to your leadership, to uh, listen to you and to take what you say to heart, to give honor to your name. Lord, we lift up all of these things to you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.